Members, it's time for questions to the Executive Office. And I call Doug Beatty to ask the first question. Mr. Beatty. Uh, question one, please. I call Gormier. the Deputy First Minister. Uh, the New Decade New Approach document sets out an ambitious package of measures covering a broad range of social, economic, and cultural issues, all of which are important. The member will know that the executive's focus has been on managing the COVID-19 pandemic and also charting the path for recovery. As we continue to move forward, we are committed to delivering all of the TEO's NDNA commitments and to moving on those things which have been delayed. Our department has made good progress on a number of issues, including providing support for victims and survivors of historical abuse, the conduct of executive business and EU exit. The Executive will have the opportunity to consider the totality of the proposals in the context of the ongoing work to bring forward a new programme for Government. A public consultation has been concluded, and the findings of which will inform uh, decisions on the, on t- in terms of the final shape and content of a new PFG outcomes framework, which we hope to bring forward um, very shortly. Supplementary for Mr Beattie. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I thank the, the Deputy First Minister. Um, I mean, it's been difficult, difficult times, of course, and, and, and part of the new decade, new approach uh, is talking about the racial equality strategy, and we know we have a, a framework uh, in place. Uh, but considering 80% of Belfast-born teenagers from ethnic minorities want to leave the city due to racial uh, attitudes, um, can I ask uh, the Minister uh, if there is something that, we can be brought, that can be brought forward to try to address this, which is clearly uh, a failing strategy? Thank, thank um, to the member, and of course, I think it's uh, incumbent upon us all to make this a welcoming society and somewhere where we all live and feel comfortable and, you know, have a home and a roof over our heads and have a job. So I think, uh, whilst we have the racial equality strategy, there's much, much more that uh, needs to be done, and we need to bring forward all the social inclusion strategies because this is about an inclusive society. So that is valid in every part of your life. Um, certainly, we'll not be found wanting in terms of trying to shape things and to build that better future that um, all of our uh, society uh, deserves, including um, those people that have come and made this place their home. John O'Dowd. I thank the Minister for our answers thus far. It is good to hear progress across a range of issues in the NDNA. Can I ask the Minister in regards to another piece of legislation? Can the Minister give an update on the Adoptions and Children's Bill? Yes, I mean, I've been very keen to see this um, bill progress for some time. Um, it's a really, really vital uh, piece of legislation that's going to allow us to, well, in the first instance, it will improve um, outcomes for children and families in need. It looked after children and care leavers, um, providing greater opportunities for children and care to experience permanence and stability, and also places a greater focus on children and young people's rights. And I think that's what we owe to all of the children that um, await adoption. So I am pleased to report the progress has been made through the executive and we can now move on to the next stage of modernising our adoption laws and I think that's obviously great news for children and also for those um, prospective um, parents so it will move forward to the next stage in this assembly where members will have a chance to debate uh, the, the merits um, of the bill and obviously deal with it in its entirety. I call Jim Allister. Why among all the new decade old approach commitments uh, was Irish language registration? thought to be more important than the multiple issues that affect our constituents to the point where the Deputy First Minister was prepared to ensure there was no progress on any of those unless she got her way on her poisonous agenda. Can she just remind me when the public consultation was 
on the Irish language legislation. Uh, Ken Corlea, and obviously the Executive Office are committed to ensuring that we bring forward all of the NDNA commitments. That's the collective responsibility of the Executive. It's also the collective will of the Executive. We have obviously been delayed in terms of implementation of many aspects of the political agreement that brought us all back into power sharing. Uh, I'm committed to delivering upon those things. Uh, we have to pick up from obviously from dealing with the COVID crisis and then try to advance many of these things, including the language and cultural pieces, including all the other issues that have been set out. I think there's maybe 200 commitments in NDNA, and what we need to see is progress on them all. I call Chris Little for a question. Question two. With your speaker, Ken Corlea, uh, Junior Minister Kearney will answer this question. There appears to be general agreement that this provision needs reviewed. TEO officials have had some preliminary engagement with the Department of Education, as any such review must be taken forward collaboratively with the education sector, and that review will, of course, include consideration of the removal of the exception. Mr Little for a supplementary. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. I thank the Junior Minister for his answer, although that answer is starkly or is barely different to responses that I've received previously over time in relation to this. So can I can I ask the, the Junior Minister if he will support my proposal for private members legislation to remove the exception of teachers from the Fair Employment and Treatment Order? Well, I thank the uh, the member for his supplementary. And uh, I share your frustration in relation to this matter. It has taken much, much too long to progress. Uh, I'm aware of the, uh, the bill uh, which you have uh, for consultation. Um, the blockage in relation to bringing this matter forward and ensuring appropriate resolution, in my opinion, on the basis of the withdrawal of the exception, uh, is not with myself. However, uh, I would be very pleased to work directly with yourself as a member in this chamber in uh, moving this issue forward. I would be very happy to have a follow-up conversation with you in relation to uh, your consultation. And Yes, I would approach that matter very positively indeed. We are on the same ground together. I call Emma Sheeran for a question. Iram, sir, Emma Sheeran for a new case. Minister, um, do you agree that the teachers' exception is out of sync with modern equality legislation? And would you reaffirm your commitment to deliver rights, equality, and respect across all aspects of society? Yes, I would agree that the teachers' exception to the fair employment legislation is entirely out of sync with modern equality legislation. I note that the uh, Equality Commission's previous interventions on this issue and the Equality Commission previously made a recommendation that the exception to FETO should be removed. And I, I share the assessment that the Equality Commission has tabled on the issue, quote, that all teachers should be able to enjoy the same legislative protection as other workers, unquote. So my commitment to pick up on your, uh, the other part of your question uh, to equality and standing up for people's rights is unwavering. 
Uh, I am hopeful that we can see progress on this particular issue in the time ahead. All barriers to equality in the workplace should be lifted. I want to see integration right across the society. That should extend to integration of employment of teachers, as well as increased promotion of integrated education itself. I call John Stewart for a question. Speaker, um, I agree it is wrong. Does the, Deputy, uh, does the junior minister also accept that the petition of concern used in 2016 to block the changes was also wrong? Successive um, First Ministers and the Education Ministers have said that this exemption is wrong. Who is blocking it? Well, as I indicated uh, in a previous uh, answer to, to Mr Little, uh, the blockage is not with me. I think that there is common ground in relation to this matter. Uh, whatever about 2016, this is 2021. This uh, legislative provision is outmoded, it is outdated. I believe that it runs counter to the progressive direction which our society needs to take, and that must be on the basis of equality for everyone in the workforce, but particularly uh, full equality and integration of uh, our teachers. And on that basis, I believe that becomes a very firm foundation for advancing, promoting and mainstreaming a desire which I think needs to be taken forward by every single member in this, uh, uh, in, within this Assembly, and that is to achieve greater integration uh, of, uh, of education right across our society, where we bring our children together to be uh, uh, taught jointly. I call Peter Weir for a question. Question number three. The process for the relaxation of restrictions is outlined in our pathway out of restrictions. Uh, the process works through the Executive's COVID-19 Task Force and the Cross-Departmental Working Group, which acts as an advisory panel to the Task Force. Departments bring forward fully assessed relaxation proposals relating to their own area of their own sector responsibility, outlining the evidence for the, the relaxation and the consultation that they have undertaken with stakeholders. The proposals are then discussed and considered by the Cross-Departmental Working Group. Through that analysis and discussion, each department has the opportunity to review the proposals with a view to identifying any cross-cutting issues as well as inputting or providing input into collaborative approaches where there are interdependencies in relation to possible relaxations. Where issues of consistency or inequality of application are identified, the responsible department is expected to amend the proposal or indeed to bring forward a further one to remedy this. Supplementary for Mr Weir. Thank you, Deputy First Minister, for her, for her answer. Um, and obviously, she'll be aware of the good work that is quite often done during over the summer, particularly by uniformed organisations. Um, so, can the Deputy First Minister provide an assurance that youth gatherings and overnight residential trips uh, will be taken as a specific priority when the executive is discussing uh, relaxations next week? Uh, thanks to the member. I know that he was very keen for this issue to be progressed in his uh, previous role, so uh, I am pleased to say that um, despite the fact that we had a delay to the reopening of youth, of youth services um, because of the emerging data that we have all are, are obviously very conscious and worried about in terms of the Delta variant, that was meant that we entered into a delay phase. But um, this Thursday, the 1st of July, we will be able to revisit that issue, so it will include the issues obviously of live music, residential um, stays for youth services, the opening of theatres and indoor seated venues, the resumption of conferences and exhibitions and allowing walk-ins for the close contact um, businesses. And then also alongside all of that work, um, officials are also working towards next week's executive and what potentially then we can be bringing forward. They're also obviously all the while mindful and informed by the medical and scientific advice um, because that's the position that we've taken the whole way through. So 
we'll continue to keep it under review, but um, all things being equal, we'd hope to be able to progress these things on, on Thursday, provided that that's supported by um, health and science. Here, Mayor Justin McNulty for your cash. I call Justin McNulty for a question. Can I thank the ministers for their answers thus far? Can I draw the, the minister's attention to the recent research for the Education Committee into the recommendation that children should get 60 minutes of, of physical activity each day and that only 13% of children in the north here are getting that? Will the joint ministers undertake to have this issue brought before the executive and have a strategy brought forward to close the gap and ensure our children get the physical activity needed and recommended for their own well-being? And I know that an organisation called Healthy Kids are banging down the door of the, the Education Minister's Department and the Health Minister's Department and the Executive Office to try and help kids move forward health, in a healthy manner, mentally and physically. Thank you, Minister. I don't think, uh, or just to say, I mean, obviously, I, I absolutely value and uh, don't underestimate the importance of physical activity for young people, particularly after a year of, uh, or 15, 16 months of lockdown and, you know, not being able to take part in youth services and sport and everything else that they generally would have had the opportunity to do. So, thankfully, we're in a better place today. Um, you raise an issue that is obviously a policy responsibility of the Department of Education, so therefore it would be for the Minister of Education to bring forward such a proposal, and I would be very open-minded to looking at such a proposal um, if that is the case. And perhaps you might wish to, if you want the executive office to write to it or to, to, to look at it in conjunction with the, the education minister, you might want to send us a note on that. I thank the Joint First Minister for her answer so far. Um, the pandemic has had a disproportionate um, effect on many sectors within society who are already disadvantaged, so children and young people, women, those in low incomes and those with disabilities. Um, would the Joint First Minister agree that our approach to recovery is, not, is an opportunity for us to build a better and fairer society by tackling inequalities and disadvantage? In short, yes. I mean, I think absolutely we have an opportunity in front of us that we must grab with both hands. I mean, I, I totally agree with the, the member in terms of the need to tackle the high levels of poverty and the, and the inequality and disadvantage um, that did exist prior to COVID, but obviously there's certainly been a very bright light shone on, on all of that now. Um, I'm particularly aware that the social and economic impact of the pandemic has really fallen hard on women, um, and that's something that we see daily, many of, of whom are in low paid precarious employment, whilst many others have also um, lost their jobs. There's also a rise in domestic violence and abuse during the pandemic, and that's been you know, really alarming um, to see those, the, the, the level of domestic violence. So I think now as we step our way out of the restrictions, the focus has to be on developing a more sustainable and strategic response that can break the cycles of poverty, exclusion, and also of inequality. And I think that addressing social inequalities and looking after uh, the most vulnerable, the lonely, those who are in housing need, those who are in poverty and families, and those with a disability, um, and workers who are also on low incomes. It has to be core and a central um, part of our recovery strategy. So that means that we need to be serious about doing things differently and doing things more effectively. And it also means listening to people. And I think if there's one thing that stands out to me over the, the course of the pandemic, it's been that we can do things differently, we can do things more speedily, we can be more responsive. So I think what we need to see is a plan for inclusive growth and develop a new focus on community wealth building, um, thus creating a, a better and a more sustainable economy by strengthening our communities, you know, looking at job creation, um, sustainable development and all the local business networks. So I think we owe it to people. Um, certainly that's what uh, I think we as an executive as a whole are committed to doing, but certainly we owe it to people to take this opportunity of a very negative experience to learn 
and to take the positives and to run with them into the future. I call Trevor Lund for a question. Cam Carly, thank you very much. Mr Deputy Speaker, question number four. With your uh, permission again, Cam Corley, um Junior Minister Kearney will answer question four. An executive paper on progressing the FICT report was approved by the executive on the 25th of March 2021. A FICT working group involving junior ministers, special advisers and officials is taking forward the steps set out in the executive paper, including cross-departmental engagement. Decisions on the publication of the FICT report will be a matter for all executive ministers working together. Yes, I thank the junior minister for that answer. Um, this, there is some history to this, that these reports are not always published in a timely fashion. And this one appears to have been sidelined across to a, a working group, which indicates to me perhaps it might never see the light of day. That this, this report apparently cost about £800,000. Can, can the junior minister give us a more detailed reason why it hasn't been published? Or will it ever be published? I share the apprehension that, uh, that the member has expressed. I can assure you that it is my full determination that we will see this process fully and properly implemented and that there will be publication of the, the FICT report. I believe that it is essential to how we move forward as an inclusive, uh, united and pluralist society. Uh, where there is respect and regard shown to all traditions. Uh, however, uh, it, it is now almost a year since we took possession of the report. Uh, I have sought repeatedly with officials and through special advisers to see this matter expedited over the course of recent months. Uh, the, uh, the implementation programme needs to be owned by the entire executive. All ministers must buy into that approach because uh, these are cross-departmental issues. The issue of sectarianism is not a silo issue. It needs to be uh, met, met, uh, met and faced down head-on by, uh, by our entire executive and indeed this, uh, this entire chamber. Uh, so the report was brought to the executive, and I, I offer this to be helpful to the, the, uh, the member in order that he has further information. Uh, the intention was that we would have a special executive meeting to, uh, to discuss the report, uh, recommendations and next steps. That has not happened. Uh, I, have, I have asked that it should be progressed. The blockage does not rest with myself in terms of ensuring that this issue is brought forward to a comprehensive resolution. Uh, it would be my hope, and I would encourage the member to continue to be vocal uh, on this issue, to emphasise the necessity for bringing this uh, piece of work to a conclusion. But I would offer this caveat, the importance of us ensuring that we do this as a collective executive and as a collective chamber, uh, rests on the, the fact that this is a deeply contentious issue. So I think we have a pathway within the report. Uh, it does not provide us with all of the answers, but it does provide us with some of the answers. And for that reason, then, I think we need to get to that point. And, uh, and we, we need to ensure that in, t in a timely way the full report is brought into the public domain. But let us do that in an orderly, an agreed and a systematic way and ensure that it simply does not become an issue that uh, leads to further division 
and rancour within our society. I call Peter Weir for a question. Um, I thank the junior, first, junior Deputy Minister for um, his answers so far. Uh, obviously, producing a report and then finding a consensus around implementing it are, can be two different things. And as such, does the member or does the minister agree with me that it is important that that consensus is reached? And can he give an assurance, therefore, that in terms of finding a way forward, that it has to involve all parties uh, and all ministers to be able to reach that, that consensus on a way forward? I thank the, the member for both his observation and his, uh, his question. And I think he will recall uh, the executive meeting to which I referred when I cautioned that we need to ensure that this is an issue that just does not become a free-for-all, either a free-for-all within the executive or indeed a free-for-all within wider society. So yes, there is an absolute imperative upon finding consensus and agreement. It does need to be inclusive of all parties. And then on the basis of what we agree within the executive and we bring forward into the chamber, then it would be my aspiration, my ambition, and I think that this would be the expectation of wider society in terms of the leadership that it expects of us, that we would go forward collectively not just as five parties, but as all the members within this chamber, giving coherent leadership on these issues and setting out a progressive vision of change for the future, where we can put these issues of rancour and contention behind us once and for all. I call Gemma Dolan for a question. and I thank the Minister for his answers so far. <coughs> Minister, would you agree with me that the proliferation of flags at this time of year is an attempt to mark out territory and intimidate communities and should be roundly condemned across this assembly? I do wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, erecting flags to mark out territory uh, instills fear, it raises tensions, it damages community relations and it causes intimidation. And Kaifer and Fod Ahyasu in St. Chonolcho, Kaifer and Fod Ahyasu in Aden and Chetahas. It's come a kahas a jig and Chetahas. Kaifer and Fod Ahyasu in Aden. So it's just not acceptable. And we do need to uh, get to a point where we recognise that flags, which are erected in mixed communal areas, are causing sectarian intimidation and that that is the driving motivation. And that's characteristic, Elias Concordia, of a number of areas within my own constituency of South Antrim. Com traditionally communally mixed areas of places like Antrim Town and also Mollusk and High Town, where we are seeing an increased proliferation of these flags. So the, the police have a job to do in this matter. Uh, the police need to step up to the plate. There are other statutory agencies, such as the Housing Executive, that also have a shared responsibility in tackling this cancer. Where there is such provo provocation, it needs to be challenged by everyone in political leadership. It doesn't matter where the provocation comes from or what position you have in political leadership. And we have to stand together against any attempt to intimidate or raise tensions. I'm deeply alarmed, Elias Concordia. At a, a, a secondary and a linked issue, and that is the emerging potential for illegal bonfires at interfaces in Belfast, especially around Adam Street and also at uh, Lanark Way. And uh, left unchallenged, that type of intimidation is only going to serve to strengthen the, uh, the barriers to building a safe, shared, and a better future for us all. 
I believe, Elias Concorde, that the politics and the principles of NDNA and the Good Friday Agreement must have primacy. Everybody in this society, regardless of who you are, where you live, has a right to live free from sectarian harassment, threat and intimidation, not just at this time of the year, but all the year around. So let's stand together against all forms of sectarian intimidation. That should be the clear message which leaves this chamber today. I just remind the Minister about the two-minute rule, Linda Hull, I'm going to miss you. Um, I now call Pat Catney, Iram Sir Pat Catney. And I hear what uh, the Deputy Junior Minister has to say. Um, we were told that the executive paper on progress in the FICT report was approved by the executive on the 25th of March this year and that an FICT working group involving junior ministers, advisors, officials for advancing the cross-departmental engagement to take this forward. So what is causing the delay in progressing this? I hear what you've had to say, Deputy First Deputy Minister, but we need to know what is the hold-up, what is progress in this, and indeed, I hear what you say about your constituency and my own constituency of Lydon Valley, where we have the same problems. We have to go back to a question posed earlier by, uh, by Mr Weir, uh, we require consensus. You will, uh, through your experience, understand very well the nature of uh, the, the joint basis to the Executive Office. Uh, and that means that issues which fall within the ambit and remit of the Executive Office must command uh, uh, agreement and consensus on both sides. I can assure you and I reiterate, the blockage in relation to moving forward with the timeline and the pathway which has been set out in relation to the FICT report does not rest with myself. Now, let's ensure that uh, we do get to a point where there is unanimity, where there is in fact agreement in relation to how this report is brought forward and tabled. I said earlier we need to ensure that this doesn't become a free-for-all. Uh, tackling sectarianism, tackling hatred and, uh, and, and exclusion within this society has to be done in a very strategic, thought-out way. I believe this report provides us with assistance and resource and respect for how we should do that. So let's stop the prevarication. Let's stop the blockages. Let's stop all of the, the hindering of how we can move forward with this piece of work and, and ensure that with, uh, within a matter of, of, of a short period of months, we get back on track with the timeline which you referred to. All parties need to buy into this. All parties in the executive, and there should be no further hindrance or blockage in relation to progress. I call Paula Bradshaw. And thank you, Junior Ministers, for your answers in relation to this so far. Um, I am concerned um, that this will be seen, if the FICT report is taken forward, that it will be seen as losses for parts of um, society, that they will feel that they are being undermined in terms of their cultural expression. And I'm just wondering, is there an opportunity for the FICT report, uh, the recommendations, to dovetail into the tripartite cultural bill that's um, coming forward so that we can put forward some positive ways in which um, cultural expression can, can be um, taken forward in communities so that um, we can have a more harmonious shared society? Thank you. And I agree with you. I think you make a wise observation in relation to trying to get complementarity in relation to how we uh, move forward. The, the, the FICT report has been in the making since 2016. Uh, we finally now do have a draft report. There has been good work done uh, by uh, the, the junior ministers 
advisers and officials, certainly at the outset of taking receipt of the report. And I think officials have uh, focused in very carefully in relation to where we could, in fact, arrive at a point uh, of consensus, unanimity. Uh, there are many, many recommendations within the report. They deal with a huge volume of issues. You'll be aware of what they are. But uh, what we have done is identified uh, an approach which would allow us to advance with the implementation of, of a large number of recommendations, subject to executive approval, subject to being able to bring that report back into the executive and then get executive approval. And what we have done is identified where challenges remain. And where challenges remain, there may be issues which are uh, further, uh, may present further difficulties in relation to their intractability. But I am confident that uh, the way forward is to uh, bring forward the report to the executive, deal with the issues that we can handle now, separate out the issues where there are challenges remaining, and then absolutely we should get that fit, the strategic fit, in relation to the requirements that NDNA makes upon us. FICT and NDNA, in my opinion, if we get the right kind of cohesion between both, will provide us with a very appropriate pathway towards a more pluralist, inclusive and progressive society. Thank you. And we have time for a very quick question and answer. I call Paula Bradley. Thank you. Question five, please. John Corlier, with your permission, do you know Minister Kearney will take this question? There, there is no restriction uh, within the regulations that prevents vocal coaches from undertaking face-to-face -face teaching, provided they do so in line with the necessary requirements and mitigations. And anyone providing vocal coaching should refer to all the relevant guidance for the sector. That ends the period for listed questions, and we will now move to 15 minutes of topical questions. And before we do so, I just have to announce that question number four has been withdrawn. So I move then to call Steve Aiken. Speaker, and may I could I ask the Deputy First Minister what does she think, with less than 48 hours to go, is it either helpful or respectful to the people of Northern Ireland? that the European Union has still to allow the movement of chilled meat products coming within our own country. Well, firstly, can I say I welcome the fact that the Commission uh, Vice President Morris Sekovich is, is meeting with MLAs today uh, and a very good exchange, I believe, over a considerable period of time. And I hope that uh, within that conversation there was uh, a balance put on the fact that uh, the protocol is mitigation, the protocol is uh, the best uh, effort we have against the worst excesses of Brexit. Uh, and I think that uh, Mar Sekovic would have an opportunity today to hear from all of the other uh, MLAs. And I, and I do welcome the fact also that, um, that there is an indication that, uh, in terms of the extension for the chilled meats, that it's expected that there's going to be a positive response there. So that's, that's good. And we should bank that. But what we need here is longer-term solutions. And I hope that we can um, find those solutions in the period ahead. And I also note that there are some other areas of progress. And again, what we need here is sustainability. What we need here is that our, our local industry, uh, our local business community, have the opportunity to plan into the future and also to take access or benefit to access to two markets, which is something which is obviously unique um, here. So I think there's some uh, more technical discussions underway, but I'm hopeful that we're going to see positive progress in terms of this recent issue. But what, what I want to see is a fulsome uh, response to all of the issues. Let's find the resolutions and then let's work on the opportunities. Supplementary question, Mr. Reagan. Thank the Deputy First Minister for her replies so far. 
But obviously, and obviously she seems to put a lot of weight on what Maria Sefcovic is being saying, but we have real concerns, particularly about the supply of medicines within Northern Ireland. What degree of risk does she think is acceptable? Indeed, does the Northern Ireland Executive see there is considerable risk in the supply of medicines? Well, firstly, speaking, as you know, there is no uh, collective executive view on Brexit. There are different views. Uh, obviously, the DUP have their view and others have, have their view. My view is that Brexit is bad all around. From its very inception, it was bad. There isn't anything to good, good to come from it. However, there has been mitigation in the form of the protocol, which gives us some protections and also gives us opportunities. On the issue of medicines, I believe the EU have actually shared proposals in terms of resolving the issue of um, supply of medicines on the licensing side, medical devices, and also on veterinary medicines. So let's hope that there's a resolution on that issue also. Okay, the member for question number two isn't in her place. I therefore call Ms Joanne Bunting. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. Um, with regard to the SIT programme, in our response to a question from me last month, the Executive Office responded that positive feedback from participants stated that projects being developed in association with SIT are beginning to have significant positive influence on the surrounding community and that the review had included a number of recommendations which would be considered in the context of phase two planning. So in light of that, um, how will they measure a tangible difference in relation to transition and how will they ensure a balanced approach across both communities in accordance with their needs? I think any, any programme that we take forward, we need to make sure there's a balanced approach and we need to make sure that we're supporting everybody uh, regardless of, of their background. So I think that it's really important that as we run out or roll out um, any of these projects that we actually take on board the learning as we go. So there has been a review, so um, that needs to be taken on board and I very much welcome that being put into, into place. Uh, you've asked before about different projects around communities in transition and the progress that's been made there. Um, we are moving to open procurement process in line with procurement policy around um, new projects. So I just think that there's, there, we have to learn lessons from all these reviews. Um, but in terms of how that will be implemented, I'm very happy to write to the member and provide you with more detail. A supplementary question for Joanne Bunting. Thank you. And could I ask the Deputy First Minister what conversations the Executive, of the Executive Office has had with DOJ and DFC with regard to the continuation of the WICT programme beyond uh, this extension period? to ensure continuity and that women who are making progress are not just abandoned and left uh, unable to complete courses or fully maximising their potential. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, particularly when people have taken the time and got themselves engaged and have taken part in programmes, that they need to have that continuity and they want assurances that they can into the future. I believe the uh, engagement across departments happens at an official level. There hasn't been a ministerial engagement on it. But again, I'm happy to provide that detail to the member in writing. I call Trevor Lund for a question. I wasn't aware I had a topical question, so I'll, just, uh, I'll pass on this occasion. <laughs> Obviously, there's no need for the Minister to respond <laughs> unless she wants to. <laughs> um, Anish Adam Sir Melissa McHugh Fanya Kest. I call Melissa McHugh. Gormal, but last concorla. The majority of people here in the north of Ireland they've opposed Brexit, and reflecting that position, the Assembly has repeatedly endorsed the protocol as a necessary mechanism to mitigate some of the worst impacts of Brexit. 
Would you agree that the appearance of Maros Sokovic uh, today here and meeting the TEO committee, that that was a positive development and that his contribution and comments demonstrate the constructive approach of the EU to mitigating the negative effects of Brexit on the island of Ireland? Um, yes, I mean, as I said, I, I, firstly, just let me say there's no, again, there's no executive uh, agreement, um, but I do think that on the issue of Brexit, but I do think that the appearance of Maurice Sekovic at the committee really was a positive development, and I think it's really important that he does hear at first hand that uh, the DUP doesn't speak for the North um, on Brexit or, or the protocol. So I think on, on the EU's part, it's certainly uh, a positive intent that they're prepared to be here um, to, to come to this assembly to listen to our locally elected representatives um, and to hear on behalf of the EU um, our reassertion of the, the continued support for the pragmatic implementation of the protocol and the protection of the Good Friday Agreement. I think his contribution today certainly demonstrates the constructive approach of the EU to mitigating the negative effects of Brexit on the island of Ireland. And you know, We can never forget that the reason that we have uh, the protocol is because we had Brexit, um, not of our wish, but it, it was opposed, imposed upon us. Um, so the protocol is obviously necessary in terms of um, providing the protections that businesses, farmers, retailers and manufacturers uh, and all need. So I think together what we need to put our effort to now is ensuring delivery of the protocol as was agreed, maximising the advantage to businesses here through unfettered access to both British and EU markets, and also um, you know, making sure that we work to iron out the issues that need to be uh, resolved um, because we have to deal now with the consequences of the Brexit that we neither wanted nor voted for. Often we hear that uh, business finds solutions to problems. They go over it, they go around it, they go under it, but they do find solutions. Uh, do you agree that the wholly negative presentation of the protocol by some needs to be challenged, given that many of our businesses are now seizing that opportunity that it provides. And what they want to see is more focus on the building of special status that affords the North through unique access to both the British market and the EU single market to help attract investors and to create jobs here for us in the North of Ireland. Again, um, thanks for that. I think some of the narrative in, uh, around the protocol clearly flies in the face of, um, of reality, and it's, it's directly contradicted by the fact that many businesses are seeing and utilising the advantages that the protocol provides them. Um, it has provided us with a special and unique status that should be embraced. Yes, of course, there are issues which need to be addressed in a pragmatic fashion. Solutions need to be found, but that doesn't change the fact that the protocol is necessary. It is agreed and it needs to be implemented and we need to give the businesses the certainty and the stability which they crave and they tell us every day which they crave. Will the Joint First Minister take this opportunity to reiterate her commitment to NDNA? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm fully committed to New Decade and your approach. It's the basis on which power sharing was restored back in January of last year. All of the parties and the two governments signed on for that, so there clearly is an obligation on us all to ensure that it's implemented in its entirety. NDNA is a compromise. There's parts that we like and there's certainly parts that we don't, but that's how compromise works. So it isn't up for renegotiation. It isn't up for cherry-picking. It's for implementation, and obviously I'll take my commitment to NDNA extremely seriously, and I would like all parties to step up in a similar vein and make sure that we all work to make power sure and work. 
want to thank the Joint Force Minister for answer. As you said, uh, Minister, NDNA was the basis upon which we established these institutions. So does the Minister agree that the DUP's decision to vote against the motion to establish a simultaneous translation ser service in this Assembly was an act of growth, bad faith? I mean, as, as I've said, both the Irish and the British governments and all the local parties all signed up to the new decade, new approach uh, political agreement. So for a party then to vote against one of the key commitments within it um, doesn't demonstrate a faithful approach to its implementation. But I would say also that bad faith cannot be a blockage. Um, it can't be a blockage to deny Gilgory or indeed anyone else access to their rights. So we have to find ways around bad faith, as we did with Acton Gilga and the wider language and culture package. Could I ask the Joint Force Minister if she could provide us with an update on the important Together Building a United Community strategy? Uh, we've made significant progress in delivering uh, the Together Building a United Community strategy with a number of headline actions that have now been fully achieved. We've seen more than 24,000 young people take part in T-Buck camps and five urban, villages areas, five urban villages areas have been established. Four shared education campuses have also been approved and are progressing. We've seen 10 shared neighbourhoods providing 483 new homes. That's all been completed. And over 6,000 young people have participated in the Peace for, Peace for Youth programme. And um, over 26,000 young people have engaged with the Uniting Communities through Sport and Creativity programme. The number of interface barriers has also been reduced by 14. And while this represents huge um, progress, huge societal challenges remain around dealing with sectarianism. But together, we can and we need to do more. And indeed, I'm committed to doing more to try to build a, a truly inclusive, uh, rights-based society, one that promotes equality, one which values difference and one which cherishes, uh, cherishes diversity. And would the Joint Force Minister agree with me that the displays that we often see at this time of year and the behaviours in terms of the proliferation of flags, displays of hatred on bonfires, totally fly in the face of what we're seeking to achieve through TBUC, and that people with positions of political leadership and responsibility have a duty to confront that behaviour rather than encourage it? I think you're absolutely right that TBUC does commit us to improving community relations and also to continuing the journey towards a more united and a more shared society. I think the display of sectarianism, intimidation or intolerance, which unfortunately we do see more of at this time of year, does fly in the face of all of that and should be condemned. And the members also correct that all political leaders do have a responsibility. We all have our own individual and collective responsibility. So the clear message must be heard from this chamber today is that we stand together to confront intolerance, intimidation and sectarianism in all of its manifestations. We have time for a quick question and answer. Um, can the Minister confirm that Irish Government officials and Ministers are indeed welcome here in the North? Well, the Irish Government is of course um, welcome here and will continue to be so. The Irish Government Ministers and officials have every right to be here. In fact, they have a responsibility to be here due to their statutory role in the North South, in the North through North South Ministerial Council, but also as co-guarantor of the Good Friday and subsequent agreements as well as providing funding to many cross-border and northern-based projects. So the role in the North is well established, both democratically, which has been democratically endorsed and valued right across the community. 
and I thank the Joint First Minister for her answer. Does uh, the Minister agree with me then that it's entirely inappropriate for an organisation that purports to represent illegal criminal gangs to attempt to subvert this work through issuing threats and warnings and telling people um, from, the, from the Irish government that they are not welcome in the North? I think the members, of course, right, referring to the recent statement, um, or is of course referring to the recent statement by the Loyalist Communities Council, and that you know, just to, to cut right to the chase, the statement was completely unacceptable. As I've said, the Irish government plays a very constructive role here. And 23 years after the Good Friday Agreement um, was signed, these organisations shouldn't even exist. Never mind be issuing threats in the media. So that statement should be withdrawn, um, and all the organisations behind it should leave the stage once and for all. Okay, members, uh, time is up, and that concludes this round of.